0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So what is this thing called ministry? Let's face it, ordained ministry doesn't always get the most favorable publicity these days. It's caused some to question whether they want to wear a clergy collar ever again. But it's nothing new. I can still remember when overhearing my mother telling one of her friends that her son was going into the ministry. And her friend wasn't exactly sure whether to offer condolence or congratulations. And it seems that quite a few people feel that way. And I'll be honest, before I got ordained, it was not on my list of preferred careers. Frankly, most of the clergy that I knew seemed to live in another world, a rather alien world. And it wasn't one that seemed particularly relevant or attractive. And the media, especially in England at the time, usually depicted a clergy as slightly eccentric characters who spend most of their time drinking tea with little old ladies and blessing animals. Did any of you see the TV series Vicar of Dibley? Mm, wasn't that fun? It really is quite entertaining. The vicar is a woman, of course, a delightful lady, but the story's the same. She is delightfully baddie, and no one takes her too seriously. So what is this thing called ministry? I've told some of you about an encounter of mine on a flight from Atlanta to Fort Walton Beach, where we live, or near where we live. I was dressed in traditional clergy gear with a black shirt and clerical collar, and I sat next to a young man whose short hair and erect posture suggested a military career. I said hello, he nodded, and then looked me up and down and said what do you do for a job? (laughs) I kinda guessed it was a loaded question. So I said well I'm a pastor what about you? He replied he was in the army and he was an atheist. I told him I was delighted to meet him. I had not met many real atheists And I asked him to tell me about the God he didn't believe in. It proved to be quite a lively conversation that revealed a great deal of ignorance on his part. One thing became clear. He believed in a rather sad caricature of how clergy think and what they do, and that it prevented him actually from ever really exploring the faith that we're called to proclaim. Now, there are, of course, some notable exceptions to this oddball image. One of the most notable was a Lutheran pastor called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He studied in Germany and America. He served congregations in Germany, England and Spain, but then was caught up in the horrors of Nazism. He was forbidden to speak in public because of his resistance to the Nazi government for which he was eventually arrested and imprisoned. Hitler personally directed that he be brutally executed at age 39. The camp doctor who witnessed the execution wrote, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer at the place of execution he again said a short prayer climbed the few steps to the gallows brave and composed his death ensued after a few seconds then the doctor wrote this in the almost 50 years that i've worked as a doctor i've hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to will of god So what is this thing called ministry? The apostle Paul describes the ordained ministry as God's gift to the church and writes, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, as you can see, there's a fairly comprehensive list of, of ministry gifts that are important for any church. It doesn't reflect, however, the more traditional order of bishops, priests, and deacons that developed as the church became more established. So how do we make sense of all of this? Another word from Bonhoeffer. He wrote that ordained ministers are to be custodians of the church, and that all of us are to be custodians of the gospel. I suspect you all heard custodian as the guy with the broom. Mm -mm. Custodian means to take good care of. It's a good word. It's a powerful word. And we've all been given responsibility for the gospel itself. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's take a look at the way Jesus understood ministry. In our gospel lessons today, we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that his days are numbered. And that this will be a turning point in his earthly ministry he has preached to thousands he has seen powerful miracles of healing his fame is spreading rapidly he's had that amazing experience on the Mount of Transfiguration where he talked with Moses and Elijah and he knows that the time has now come to prepare for his exit so what does he do He appoints 72 disciples and sends them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go and he said to them the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few therefore pray earnestly to the lord the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest and it won't be easy he warns them go your way Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then he goes on to give them a detailed set of instructions on how they are to conduct themselves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. And then a few more ministry instructions. Heal the sick. I love how he just slides that right in. While you're there, heal the sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. See, that's the way Jesus sees ministry. It starts in prayer. And that's where he starts everything. He sees the enormous need, he sees a crowd of confused and frightened people, and he immediately takes it to his heavenly Father in prayer. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. And notice, he doesn't ask for volunteers. He doesn't circulate a ministry sign-up sheet. He appoints 72 and tells them to pray that God will appoint more. He also sends them out in twos. No solo clergy in his playbook. And he doesn't pull any punches about the cost of ministry. You know, lambs don't last long among a bunch of wolves unless they have the shepherd with them. And notice also, he doesn't offer any fancy titles like interim bishop (laughs) or reverend canon. He simply calls them laborers, and their fellow laborers with him. He also makes it clear that they are to do the ministry to which they have been appointed in the context of the community. Go visit people. If they receive you, eat with them, pray with them, heal the sick, and tell them the kingdom of God is near. Doesn't sound too complicated. But how do we take this strategy and apply it to today? Well, first of all, let's recognize again that God appoints his ministers. We don't appoint ourselves, God appoints us. Of course, God gives us the freedom to reject his appointment and do our own thing, but we don't get to do God's work in God's way unless God calls us. It's a basic lesson that lots of churches and so-called church leaders seem to have forgotten see our task is to recognize those whom God is calling into ministry and to redirect those who want to appoint themselves some years ago I served as rector of all angels church on the upper west side of Manhattan Had a great time there it was a lively congregation with lots of amazing people one day a woman came to see me and announced she wanted to get ordained I said great why And she answered because I want to bless people and forgive them their sins I was a little taken aback that's why I don't get to do that of course you do she said every week in church I said no no I declare God's blessing and God's forgiveness she said no it's the same thing Ooh. I made it clear it was not and she was on the wrong track see we must never forget that it's God's ministry and God makes the appointments. And notice, however, we get to pray and God will send out more laborers. Prayer is our part of the process. And I trust that you are praying that God will appoint many more laborers for the harvest that is all around us right here. As I've learned over these past 18 months, Pittsburgh and Western PA are undergoing a tremendous transformation There's redevelopment taking place all around us. The number of students in the area continues to climb. I saw somewhere that said 80,000 students are enrolled in the various colleges in Pittsburgh. And while COVID has had a devastating impact on many families, it's also prompted many people to ask soul-searching questions for which they need answers. Are you praying for more laborers? Some of them may already be here in this room today, but they haven't heard God's call, so pray hard. Secondly, God equips his ministers. Jesus told his disciples to take nothing for the journey and not to beg for help, but to simply accept what was offered to them. Now, he could have given them everything they needed a full backpack but he didn't I mean he could have he just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish but you see that wasn't the point he wanted them to know it was God who would equip them and that God alone was to get the glory for the miracles they would see and the same is true today We can and should earn theology degrees. We can read books. We can learn all the techniques of ministry. But if God does not equip us, we will fall flat on our faces. God's equipment is very straightforward. The first and most important piece of equipment is the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the Bible. It's where we start and where we finish. We'd be servants of the word of God. But that's not all. We need the power of the Holy Spirit if we are to do the works of God. Jesus told the first disciples that they would receive power to do the ministry to which they had been called when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it happened on that first Pentecost. But that wasn't the only time. A few days later when they were facing challenges from religious authorities, they they prayed in the place where they gathered began to shake, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In my own ministry, I know that it's only the power of the Spirit that has sustained me in the various settings to which we've been called. It's the Holy Spirit that has given me insight. the Holy Spirit that has given me strength. The Holy Spirit has given me the gifts I needed at the time that I needed them. There's something else we must learn about ministry from this simple story. We don't do it alone. Angela and I have been blessed. For those who don't know as Angela is my wife on the front row. uh, We've been blessed to serve the Lord in many different settings. We began in the privileged suburbs in Darien, Connecticut. Then we moved to Cajun country. Lafayette Louisiana actually we we were in a smaller town than Lafayette we were in Maurice really is country we had one gas station a bar and a convenience store and no lights it was real country next we moved up to the upper west side of Manhattan I could tell you the story of us driving from Louisiana in a station wagon from country into the upper west side of Manhattan I won't tell you tonight but anyway it was a shock In Manhattan, we served the up and out, as well as the down and out. Next up was Fairfax, Virginia, where many of our very important congregants worked in and around the nation's capital. In every community, we have learned as much from the people that we have served as we've been able to teach them. We also made friendships that have lasted. See, God equipped us for ministry through the people whom we served. So we've got the Word, the Spirit, and the community. God's equipment. So God appoints his ministers, God equips his ministers, and God directs his ministries. And Jesus directed the 72 disciples to the towns and villages that he was himself about to go. He gave the directions and they followed. He also described the way in which they were to do the ministry, even gave the message they were to deliver, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now this kingdom was unlike any political kingdom. It was a place where God's character was evident and where God's values were demonstrated. It was a place where the lost were found, the sick were healed, the blind were given sight, the oppressed set free, the broken made whole. And that's still our message. And there are a number of other other passages where we can find practical directions for ministry. One that Angela and I often followed was in the second chapter of Acts, where it reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everybody was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, that was fine for then. We live far more sophisticated times now. Not true. When we got to Lafayette, we hadn't got any courses from Trinity on church planting. What we had was the Bible. and We read that passage from the second chapter of Acts. And we used it as our kind of roadmap. And God blessed us with remarkable growth. We went from a congregation of 15 to more than 500 in five years. God gave the directions. We followed, and God gave the increase. So what is this thing called ministry? It's about being a co-laborer with God. It's knowing that we are appointed by God. And there are times, my sister and brothers, when you'll wonder, what on earth did I get myself into? Take great comfort. God is appointing you. You didn't dream it up. This is God's call on your life. It's recognizing that we are equipped by God. You will always feel unequipped. If you ever feel you can do it, you're in trouble. It's being directed by God. It's seeing the power of God to transform lives. There is nothing more exciting than that. You know, I've done all kinds of things, but there's nothing more exciting than seeing lives transformed by the power of God. It's seeing people reconciled to God and to one another, people who could not even stand each other, but come back together in the presence of God and are reconciled. It's also knowing that the glory always belongs to God when things are going well don't start doing this get on your knees and give thanks you know on the night that Jesus knew his hour had come to depart to depart out of this world he shared a last supper with his disciples it was before the feast of the Passover And during the meal, he got up, took off his outer garments, took a towel, and tied it around his waist. And then he he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Simon Peter was horrified. And he protested, oh Lord, no, 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 please. But Jesus would not be dissuaded. And when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You called me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I've done to you. So what is this thing called ministry? It's washing feet. Josh, Jess, Herb and Greg, come up. Take your seats. Just your shoes, not, not, my not well. Yeah, your socks as well. <laughs> Jess, why don't you take the first seat? Josh, next to away. Jess, I wash your feet to remind you. That's how Jesus worked. Josh. Josh. I wash your feet, to remind you, this is how Jesus did it. Greg, I wash your feet, to remind you, this is how Jesus did it. The water for you. <laughs> my brother I wash your feet what Jesus does we had a rehearsal before this we didn't mention this part (laughs) father God I thank you for these my sister and brothers I thank you for their faithfulness to respond to your call And I pray you bless them and encourage them in Jesus' name. Amen. Make your way back.